0: Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, for your love, and for your grace, and for your mercy. And Lord, we ask now that you would just settle our hearts on your word. Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. The Psalms tell us that you have magnified your word above your name. And so, Lord, we we. We give tremendous respect and honor to this word of yours, that you've preserved through centuries for us, and Lord, Lord, as we're honest, sometimes we do take it for granted, and so we don't want to do that today. We want to be empowered by your spirit, and we want to be dedicated to uh, the teachings of your word, and so please do all of that, Lord, in our lives. Have your way with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn if you would to Daniel chapter three. As I explained to my one of my children this morning, you know why we're reading Daniel chapter three? It's how it rolls, right? It's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. I can't do either. But I can count from two to three. So. Daniel chapter 3, for historical context overview, if you haven't been with us, that's fine, uh, we're glad you're here, um, but just so everybody's on the same page, the nation of Israel, uh, went through a time of terrible rebellion of the Lord after the time of King David and Solomon, and then the nation was split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was carried off by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. The southern kingdom, known as the kingdom of Judah, was carried off by the Babylonians uh in three successive uh sort of conquests if you will the first was in 605 BC the second in 597 BC and the final was in 586 BC where Jerusalem was destroyed and so uh you may recall Daniel and uh we know him know him growing up uh unfortunately in Sunday school as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego i say unfortunately cuz that was their Babylonian names they had much cooler uh Jewish names um, that are so cool I have to look them up, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and so, um, so they now find themselves in Babylon, carried there in 605 BC to uh, the kingdom under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they have been, um, they've been sort of in the court of the king, if you will, they've been very um, um, sort of politically elevated, uh, and then so much so that in last, last week, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, we read about, had a dream that was a little bit creepy. And King Nebuchadnezzar saw this guy in a dream. This is an artist's rendition. We don't know exactly if this is what he saw. But he saw something to this effect. And he called all of his uh, wise people and magicians and all of that and said, Can anybody tell me the dream and its interpretation? And only Daniel was able to do that. And Daniel gave him the interpretation. He said, Hey, king. Uh, this really represents a bunch of different empires, and currently uh, you are the head of gold. That represents you, the king, in the Babylonian Empire, and after you is going to come a nation that's uh, going to be the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, represented by a sort of two arms, the Medes and the Persians, and then after them is going to come the Grecian Empire, led by Alexander the Great, and then after them is going to come the Roman Empire, uh, with sort of a... a, a western block if you will uh headquartered in rome and an eastern block head- headquartered in constantinople and believe it or not all of that was carried out now we look in daniel's day nebuchadnezzar's day that was that was forward now we look back so so we'd call it prophecy now we look backward we call it history but then there was also this uh, thing at the bottom, he says, which is going to be like the feet and the toes, which is a uh, ten toes, and it's going to be, we talked about this last week, basically probably a revived Roman Empire. Um, we would consider it, if we looked in the context of today's history pages, looks something like maybe the European Union. Um, currently there's 27 nations in the European Union, but... Um, you know, if you read on the news tomorrow morning that the European, nation's been, the European Union's been whittled down to ten nations, pack your bags, all right? So, um, or better yet, witness to your family members. Because um, we won't be taking suitcases, all right? Thank God. Um, but anyway, so that's the overview, right? So Daniel, ha- Daniel interprets this dream. He says, hey, there were all these kingdoms, And for our purposes today, I'd like to highlight the head. Who's the head? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And what type of metal is that head? Gold. Very good. All right. With that, you got it. Everybody fair? Fair enough? Everybody with me so far? All right. So that's pretty much that. Um, now, note that at the end of chapter two, after Nebuchadnezzar heard this amazing interpretation, I mean, he was he was wowed out by the fact that Daniel could retell the dream, and so that gave Daniel credibility to then give the interpretation of the dream. And so um, we see at the end of chapter two, verse forty-six and forty-seven. Uh, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. Then the king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. So King Nebuchadnezzar gave honor to Daniel's God. Did he surrender his life to Daniel's God? Well, we could say, I mean, if that's the only verses you had, you could say, well, I don't know, honestly. But you know what we got? Chapter 3. Right? And by the end of today, you'll say, I don't think Neb quite got it at the beginning of chapter 3. Right? He's still a little harsh. Okay? Now, I believe by the end of uh, chapter 4, next week, uh, we'll have some pretty good, uh, at least biblical... um, Support for the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was was truly a changed man But let me just say this there's a big difference between acknowledging God and surrendering to God That's the first point I want to make really there's a big difference between acknowledging God and surrendering your life to God and can I suggest acknowledging God is just A short reprieve and a series of dead ends of life Okay surrendering your life to God is a completely new life. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless somebody is born again, they won't see the kingdom of God. And so that's what we need. That's what we long for in our lives. And so uh, we want to live lives that are, that are not just acknowledging God, but um, surrender to God. So as we get into chapter 3, I want to just point out a, uh, one more thing. Curiously, Daniel, the person... Is missing in Chapter Three's context in the in the narrative. Uh, some people say, most commentators say he was likely on assignment somewhere. Like it was a big empire, right? By this time, Babylon has conquered, you know, uh, Judah and uh, its territory. You know, they've conquered lots of territories, and you know, there's probably a you know, lot of jobs to be done. And so, most commentators would say Daniel was physically absent uh, during this time. So the narrative then turns to those that remain. So everybody ready? My son Nate would call that a Scott Murphy introduction and I'd say you bet it is and that's all right. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and it's width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. You see what he's doing? Catch this. He's making a statue. I don't know exactly what that statue looks like but it might look something like that, right? And, and he's making it um, 60 cubits. That'd be about 90 feet tall, roughly, and about 9 feet wide. This is impressive, right? What's it made out of? Gold. What's Nebuchadnezzar, what's the statement he's making? He's, I'm rich. Yeah, it would cost a good bit to make this thing, yes. Yes. I want you to catch the statement. What Daniel told him was, hey, Neb, this is you. And then after you comes this. And after this comes this. And after this comes this. Daniel is prescribing future history as laid out through a divine prophecy of God. Get it? We might call it the sovereignty of God. Neb says, I don't like all that silver and bronze and iron stuff that you said is going to come after me. How about we preserve me and my immortality? Right? So I think what we'll do is we'll just make the whole thing gold, i.e., I'm immortal. My kingdom is immortal. My kingdom will last forever. You know what's ironic? That kingdom didn't even last to the end of Daniel's life, right? You know, so often we think, and honestly, if you think about it, I grew up like this as an American, just assuming that America is going to be uh, a rock star nation for the next five billion years, right? Nation history doesn't quite play that out now, does it? Well, so not to be a downer, but... uh, Let's talk about this guy, <laughs> all right? <laughs> this guy is uh, now all gold. He's not gold, silver, bronze, iron. He's now all gold, right? And so that's, what, uh, that's the kind of guy that uh, Nebuchadnezzar wants to see. And so uh, he builds this thing, and he sets it up. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together uh, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province, to co- provinces. To come to the, catch this, the dedication of the image of the king, of which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governor, the counselor, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of all the provinces gathered together for the, what is it? The dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he says, hey guys, everybody gather around, we're going to have a dedication to this thing. So at this point, it just looks like a statue, right? Like a monument. Like we might have a monument in Washington, D.C., you know, to Abraham Lincoln or something, right? We're just going to have a statue. I want everybody to gather for the dedication. So far, it seems maybe a little weird, but benign. And in the context of ancient civilizations, probably not all that weird even. Fair enough? So he goes on. Verse 4, then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and, now we're not dedicating this thing, now we're worshiping this thing. Uh, Might appear to be a subtle change of words, but it's not a subtle change of words. We've gathered for a dedication, now we're coming to a worship service. Hey guys, when you hear the music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So has he surrendered his life to God Almighty? Doesn't look like it. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, languages, fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, there's the setting for you, right? And many of you know this story. We grew up hearing about it in Sunday school, but there's a lot of lessons in this story. So by this time, Babylon is an empire of many different people groups, as we said, uh, we see it a little bit maybe as a picture of the last days. Uh, there's peoples, nations, and languages all coming together, right? And they're called, and they're, they're initially called for sort of a political dedication, but actually it's an act of worship. Can I tell you something today? Can I tell you something today? There are some subtle, fine lines between these kinds of things. And I'm not saying every time somebody says, hey, let's go and give honor to something— or give respect to something, you know, hey, be careful, you need to be paranoid, there needs, there's a conspiracy under every rock, you need to regard that as, a, as an act of worship and stay away from it. But, we could use a little discernment. Is that fair? We could use a little discernment. And so, just uh, beware of some of these gray areas. Some things that look benign or start out looking benign may in fact not be benign and I try not to be a conspiracy theorist right you know by definition that word means I'm psycho (laughs) right if I say I'm a conspiracy theorist that's a term that's used to mean I'm nuts right so take away that connotation and let me just say this there are some things that we have been handed through the public narrative that are just straight up not right. Straight up not right. There are some things we've been handed through the, through the political and social narrative that are just not right. And that calls for discernment. And what is our filter of discernment? The scripture, like never before in my lifetime, can I tell you this? I'm 60 years old, and for 60 of those years, I have never in my life seen a time like now where we need biblical discernment in order to know how to put one foot in front of the other. Like never before. And so beware of these sort of dedication services, right? They may, in fact, be worship services. Just beware don't be conspiracy theorists unless they turn you into one. That's what I always tell people. You know, I was never a conspiracy theorist until they made me one. So you're psycho, right? No. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Let me just say also, and again, draw what you want, but draw it through biblical discernment. Can I say this? What is Nebuchadnezzar's motivational um, principle? Starts with F, sounds like deer. Fear. Fear, right? Who would love to be thrown into a fiery furnace today? Raise your hand. Could we call that scary? Yeah, yeah, somebody... (laughs) Can we call that scary? Yeah. We call that fear-provoking, right? Can I tell you this? Babylon uses fear. What's Timothy tell us? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Beware of fear. Can I say that? Beware of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, Having said that, again, we need biblical discernment, right? Should you drive 100 miles an hour on the edge of the Grand Canyon? No. Should you even take that donkey on the trail down the edge of the Grand Canyon? No. Right? So, a little healthy fear is a little healthy fear, right? But just having said that, can I just point out, Babylon uses fear and intimidation. It. It's a key ingredient to the, to the Babylonian narrative. And the other one is social pressure, right? So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp and lyre and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image, right? Right? Everybody's doing it, right? I tried that on my mother, it didn't work. Everybody's doing it, right? Beware of everybody's doing it and beware of fear. Can I just say that? Beware of everybody's doing it and beware of fear and have biblical discernment. So, it would appear that everybody except three guys all bowed down and worshipped. Verse 8. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans, Chaldeans is just another word for the Babylonian people. Certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, "O oh, king, live forever. Flattery. Flattery's on the list of ingredients. We're making a nice little soup now, aren't we? We've got fear. We've got social pressure. We'll throw in a little flattery. It's kind of like the spice of, of uh, Babylon. O king, live forever. You, you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horns, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, Have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, we mentioned over the last couple chapters, Daniel and his friends, by the end of chapter two, have been very politically elevated. They've been honored, they've been placed in places of of leadership, places of, of political and social respect and authority. What does that cause? Jealousy. If God blesses you, do not be surprised. And and I don't, you know, and again, I have to unwrap that, right? We often think of blessing in terms uh, only in financial, and I don't even mean it that way. But if God blesses you, or if God takes care of you, or if God does a cool thing in your life, and you expect the world to celebrate with you, you're going to be disappointed. Often, it just brings about jealousy from the Babylonian world. And again, I'm saying the Babylonian world kind of uh, metaphorically a little bit, because we are, you know, as I was talking to one guy earlier, uh, Babylon is always here. Babylon's been here since the Tower of Babel in early Genesis. It's going to be here till the end of Re- toward the end of Revelation when it's finally dealt with um, in the end times, right? And so... Babylon that's here, if you will, uh, can be very jealous. Simply stated, and can, again, can I tell us this for our day? Conformists generally don't like nonconformists. Conformists don't like nonconformists, right? Right? And so, if you're a nonconformist, now what does that mean? Does that mean like you have tattoos all over your body? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Actually, that'd be a conformist in this day and age, right? Young people, you want know, to be a nonconformist? You want know, to be a rebel? Don't get a tattoo. Just, just saying. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, a little affirmation from my generation. But anyway, that's another story right? Or what Dave Ramsey says, I like this. Um, You know, if you want to look like you fell into a tackle box, that's your business, but I'm not going to hire you. (laughs) So there you go. That's what it means to be a conformist. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Conformists generally don't like non-conformists. Again, just like we dealt with fear biblically, right? We're learning how to deal with the pressures of life biblically, right? What do we know biblically about conformity, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? By knowing this word. I cannot emphasize this enough. I would shudder. I would shudder at the prospect of trying to live a Christian life in 2023, even in small-town Indiana utopia, without a working knowledge of the Scripture. And if I could just encourage, I don't know what everybody's habits are in this room, but if I can just parenthetically encourage you, not to lay a trip on you, but to encourage you. You need this as a resource to navigate this life. And if you don't, I'm not laying a trip on you, I'm just saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk out into a blizzard wearing shorts, and it's infinitely worse than that, right? We've gotta have this to navigate this life especially in the day we live in. So it goes on. So these conformists don't like the non-conformists, as often how it rolls. So then Nebuchadnezzar, now he's in rage and fury. Right? Another pretty predictable response from Babylon. Now he's in rage and fury. He gave the command to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You like that? So they throw in a little doubt. Another ingredient of Babylonian soup? Doubt. Doubt. You know when doubt was first cast, when doubt was first cast into the mix? Genesis chapter 3. Hey, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from every tree? Right? God was very specific by the beginning of ch- Genesis chapter 3. Hey, you can eat any fruit, in the, any, any fruit from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day, of you, in the day you eat of that, you shall surely die. And Satan shows up. Hey, just give me a little clarity now. Did God really say that? What's he doing? He's casting doubt on the word of God. He's casting doubt on the word of God. What's, what's Nebuchadnezzar here doing? Hey, did I hear that you guys aren't going to bow down to this thing? And you know, by the way, which God is going to deliver you from my hands? I'm, by the way, the most powerful man in the world. And which God can deliver you from my hands? It's a question that, really reveals the heart of Nebuchadnezzar at this point. Notice also, I just wanted to mention this, I meant to mention this earlier. Notice music is a piece of this equation. And just FYI, music is a powerful force for good or for evil, right? Just for what it's worth, just as a point. And so, again, Nebuchadnezzar does not understand biblical convictions. When we live... As nonconformists according to biblical discernment not motivated by fear but of power and of love and a sound mind and we live out these biblical convictions we should not expect the world to understand our biblical convictions right Nebuchadnezzar does not understand how these guys think that's okay can I encourage us as Christians today we spend a lot of energy we spend a lot of energy racking our head against the wall saying, man, I don't know why they don't understand why I think. It's because you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit as a child of God. And Scripture says these things are, biblically discerned, are, are spiritually discerned. And so, no, they won't understand our biblical convictions. We should, pres- we should evangelize, we should tell them, but... If they don't get it, they don't get it. And uh, frankly, um, some people won't get it until they have a change of heart. right? And so when somebody has a change of heart, then they're more open uh, to the things of God. Then, yeah, we can talk to them. Right? Otherwise, you know, Scripture says don't answer a fool according to his, to, to his folly, lest you be like him. There are some people that we just need to sort of say it once and then pray for them. Otherwise, we're just in a volleyball match of negative speech. Chapter 2, verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. And now the same man says, And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Catch that? A lot of doubt here. A lot of ingredients of the Babylonian soup that we see played out even today. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And so these guys have a brilliant answer. They know that God's going to deliver them, that God can deliver them, and they stand on that. And yet they don't know how God is going to deliver them. Maybe he's going to deliver them as he's going to turn out to do. As you know the story, they won't get burned. Maybe he's going to deliver them by taking them to heaven. Right? Both would be considered deliverance, right? Is going to heaven a good thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And so... They don't presume to know the mind of God. They just know it's their duty to obey. And so they give God room to, um, to deliver them as God sees fit. Now, this brings up another spectrum, right? If you're new here, everybody in the room is grinning because I talk about spectrums a lot. Okay, I'll just say this. And so, just like in the past, we've talked about there's a a spectrum between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's sovereignty is a biblical truth. Man's responsibility is a biblical truth. We all find ourselves sort of at some point, sort of leaning maybe one way or maybe leaning the other way a little bit. And anywhere we we find ourselves on on that spectrum is maybe where God has us. And maybe that's okay. And we don't need to fix everybody else to try to be at the same point on that spectrum that we are, right? Our job, really, and my job, I believe, as a teacher, is to highlight, this is what it means to fall off the cliff on responsibility, this is what it means to fall off the cliff on sovereignty. We've been through that a million times, and I won't torture the rest of you for that, to do it again, right? Who said good? Somebody said good. <laughs> but I think, there's another so- I think there's another spectrum, if I can, and I think this this response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego helps us to, uh, well, I believe I'd be, I'd be negligent to not bring this one up. Is that fair? I think of it as the word and the spirit spectrum. Fair enough? Now, is God's word biblical truth? We should stand on it. Absolutely, it's our rock. Have I been make, have I been mentioned that so far today? It's our rock, right? The Holy Spirit empowers us to live this Christian life. Is that a biblical truth? Absolutely, absolutely. Is it possible that well-intended Christians, some of them lean sort of this way a little bit, and some of them lean a little bit this way? Have you ever noticed that? I have, right? Now, what happens if you're all word and no spirit? We call that the frozen chosen, right? Is that fair? You're maybe grounded, maybe well-intended, and that's about it, right? What happens if you're all spirit and no word? what have i been saying all all morning so far that we need we need biblical what discernment right and so the cliff over here is all spirit no word cliff over here is all word no spirit well how does that play out what does that look like we'll start over here is that fair is that fair over here, this group, some say, I think well-intended people that we're gonna see in heaven believe doctrinally that the what's called the sign gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, miracles, healings, those sorts of things, those died off when the apostles died off. Okay? I just want to say it on tape. I believe that is biblically. Inaccurate. Okay? I believe with all my heart that is biblically inaccurate. Not only are they alive and well today, we desperately need them. We desperately need them. Is that fair? This side, sometimes, again, I say I don't want to offend anybody in the room. I'll probably wind up offending everybody in the room. So we're all... Is that okay? Okay. Come back next week. Go to sleep and come back next week. Here's what I think... I, here's, what, here's what makes me... Uh, makes my hair curl a little bit on this end. A lack of respect for the sovereignty of God. Right? I don't presume to tell God what to do. I was at a prayer meeting one time, and somebody was praying like this. And they were telling God publicly, if you don't bring revival, I forget exactly how it was phrased, and so I don't want to take it out of context. But basically, if you don't bring revival, you owe us an apology. I'm going to call that off the cliff. Okay? Is that okay? Can I do that? Yes. You know, we have in our Bibles the book of 1 Corinthians. Where were they as a church? They were over here, right? Paul wrote a lot in that book to correct their error. So sometimes on this side, we can say, well, that's a no-brainer. Everybody just needs to come on over here, right? And then people over here say, well, that's a no-brainer. Everybody just needs to come over here, right? There is some error on both sides, okay? I've seen it. I don't presume to tell God what to do. I can claim his promises, but I don't claim his promises in the way and in the context and in the timing that I decide. I have a huge respect for the sovereignty of God as it plays out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that fair? Here's another thing I think that we probably err, if we will, as as a body of Christ. All right. Anybody not offended yet? Just one, three or four of you. Okay, good. So uh, we'll see what we can do. Okay. Um, Too often, these these two camps, if you will, are defined by whether or not. A person does what? Speaks in tongues. Right? These people speak in tongues. These people don't. Can I tell you, that's just, tongues is an awesome gift. Right? It's an awesome gift. Paul describes it as an awesome gift. Paul gives some parameters for how it's supposed to be used. Right? Right? I think it goes way beyond that. And can I give you a, a, a biblical frame of reference, how I, would, how I see these two camps? This is the Apostle Peter the night before Jesus died. He had walked and talked with Jesus for three years. Do you think he got a good Bible training? Yeah. He acknowledged it. When Jesus says, who do men say that I am? He's the one that jumped up and had the right answer. He would have had all the right answers, except... Oh, tonight, you're going to deny me three times. No, I won't do that. I'm on top of my game. Right? This goes way beyond whether or not you speak in tongues. A little while later, right, the Holy Spirit comes upon. By the way, was Peter a Christian at this point? This is important. Was Peter a Christian? Right here. Yes. Yes. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Right? Peter's Christian. But there's something extra that happened in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon the church. And now we see a very different Peter. It doesn't matter to me whether or not he had the gift of tongues. What mattered to me was here's a guy that can't stand up to a teenage girl warming herself by the fire when she says hey aren't you one of his disciples right and now he's preaching at the day of pentecost right three thousand people get saved Uh, a chapter later he's healing a guy and he gets thrown in jail for it and they bring him out and and he's and he's talking to the people that basically crucified jesus and he's like got some of the most incredible boldness in the face of opposition that's recorded in the New Testament, right? That's Peter before and after. That's Peter filled with the Spirit, right? Do we need the filling of the Spirit to navigate this life? You bet we do. You bet we do. So, if you lean this way, can I tell you this? You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. How often do we need Him? To fill us. I was listening to a... Uh, Nate and I went to pastor's conference this week and there was a guy who spoke. He said, you need it every time you minister. Right? And what kind of ministers are we? Full time. How, how often do we need the filling of the Spirit? Full time. All the time. Every situation. Every time we breathe. Right? We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to ask and even expect the Lord to do miracles in our lives As He wills. Okay? Now, if I can speak to... Sometimes we're over here, and we might say, yeah, I believe that God still does miracles, and I believe the gifts didn't die off, but I'm still kind of feel a little more secure over here. (laughs) Right? You know who you are. Right? And sometimes when we pray we might pray kind of like what these guys prayed, but we kind of like, God, I'm asking for this if it's your will. Like, we're giving God an out, so much so that we're not expecting Him to answer that prayer. Does that make sense? On the other hand, over here, can I just tell you biblically, if, if, if you're over here, biblically, these guys are pretty cool believers, pretty faithful. They're giving God an out. They're saying, and here's how it's f- phrased they're saying, We believe God will deliver us. We stand on the fact that God delivers us. If He delivers us in the way that we expect, and at this moment, hope, that's awesome. If He delivers us in a way that we don't expect, or we don't understand, or we don't fully capture the mind of God, that's His business. Is that fair? So don't pray like, oh, hey, Lord, if it's not too much trouble, could you please answer my prayer, right? How about we don't do that, but how about we don't say, God, I'm telling you what to do. I'm claiming that I need this, and I need it now, and, and this is what I want, and so I'm entitled to it. Is that fair? That's the spectrum. Now, make sure I didn't get miss anything. Don't forget that God is God and we're not him. Be very careful about presuming that we know what's best in our lives. I've lived long enough to know that I don't know what's best for my life. And that borders on arrogance and uh, opposition to the sovereignty of God. So be careful. Can I tell you a couple of litmus tests to help us kind of discern these things? Is that fair? Number one, the Holy Spirit never contradicts the Word of God, right? If you're a spirit person, awesome. We should all be spirit people, by the way. But if you're a spirit person, be a biblically discerning spirit person. Is that fair? The Spirit never contradicts the Word of God. I believe it's a matter of style, and, you know, we all come from different backgrounds in a lot of ways. I believe it's a matter of style. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't contradict or interrupt Himself, Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, God is not a God of disorder. Let all things be done decently and in order. Okay? So, ideally, hopefully, on a good day, if everything is going well, and I'm prayed up, I'm exercising the gift of teaching. Is that fair? And so, it would not make sense that if the Holy Spirit would, like, you know, if somebody's going to uh, uh, express a, another gift of the Holy Spirit while the gift of teaching is going on. That's why we, we don't have the public speaking of tongues. We don't have public prophecy while I'm in the middle of talking. Does that make sense? So, if that helps give some clarity there, that's, that's sort of the why. The Holy Spirit wouldn't interrupt himself. That, to me, is not let all things be done decently and in order. And then finally, this is probably the biggie. This is the litmus test of the Holy Spirit in my mind. John 16:14. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, "He will glorify me." He will glorify me. So that tells me two things that the Holy Spirit does not glorify. The Holy Spirit does not glorify man or woman. And the Holy and this may seem a little subtle, but within the context of how we understand the Trinity at least, the Holy Spirit does not glorify the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit does not call attention to Himself. What I love in the body of Christ, when the Holy Spirit is working in various ways amongst various Christians, He does it in beautiful harmony, and honestly, you've heard me say it a million times, I believe that's what He's doing in this church. He does it in beautiful harmony, but there's not a lot of attention called to the fact that He's doing something. Does that make sense? So He never glorifies man, he never glorifies the Holy Spirit he will glorify me Jesus says and so to me if I see or if I see somebody that's exercising a gift of the Spirit if you will the first thing I'm looking for is who's getting the glory who's getting the glory and if that person is calling attention to themselves then my biblical discernment antenna has to go up a little bit Is that fair? Okay. So, bringing it all together. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, we said, was a spectrum, right? We said there's lots of people on all different sides of the spectrum. Does that make sense? And you don't have to fix everybody else to make them your exact spot on the spectrum. The same applies for this, right? If you lean this way on the word and the spirit spectrum, right, don't try to make everybody else exactly where you are on the spectrum, Right? You need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of biblical discernment. If you're over here, guess what? You need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of biblical discernment. But personality-wise, we lean, we, we lean different ways. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. You say, how do we know? Well, we have a biblically discerning answer to that, I believe, even. Right? In the Old Testament, uh, after the time period that we're talking about where Daniel's in, in Babylon... Uh, during the reign of the Medes and Persians, you know, the Silver Empire. There were two prophets that came to speak to God's people, Haggai and Zechariah. If you want, like, a a homework assignment on this topic, let me encourage you to read the the books of Haggai and Zechariah. And I won't go through them in detail for now, but I hope I can say this out loud. If Haggai were alive today, he would go to a Baptist church straight up, right? And he'd be an awesome guy. If Zechariah were alive today, he would most definitely go to a charismatic church. Does that make sense? They're both contemporaries. They're both used to speak to God's people. They both have a very legitimate, valid point in the Scripture. They're both writing words inspired by the Holy Spirit. They both have completely different styles. Haggai, Zechariah. So would it make sense that we can all live in harmony a little bit on this topic, right? If if you lean this way, can I encourage you? Let me give you another example. And I know I'm beating this up, but this is important. This is very important. If you're over here, don't be like the guy that took the chainsaw back to the store. Have you heard about the cha- guy that took the chainsaw back to the store? Mm-hmm. Bought a chainsaw, the guy said it's guaranteed to cut down whatever, and, you know. Guy comes back, he's got, you know, he's got chest pain, he's almost had a heart attack, he's got sweat dripping down his face and, you know, he's carrying on and carrying on. And He, he says, man, I need my money back. This thing doesn't cut half as efficiently as you said it would. And the guy's like, huh, let's see what's going on. <clears throat> and the guy jumps back, he's like, what's that noise? What do you mean, what's that noise? Yeah, been out there carrying, like, doing this, I feel like I'm getting nowhere, right? That's trying to live this Christian life without the, without the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that? That is like trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. I don't want that. I don't want that. And the analogy obviously carries, too, right? Guy comes back, he doesn't come back to the store. Man, you can cut down everybody with this thing. Right? Don't be that guy either. Right? Just use a chainsaw for what it's intended for. The Holy Spirit is to give glory and honor to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The same Spirit, check this out, this is incredible, the same Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, that rose Jesus from the dead is the one that lives in us. And unleashes the same power in us that rose Jesus from the dead. Get your head around that. So if the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me, then if a teenage girl warming herself by the fire says, hey, weren't you one of His disciples? Then I can say, yeah, let me tell you about Him. He loves you. He died for you. Right? And i got to tell you, Peter was a pretty amazing guy. And if Peter couldn't do it in his own strength, i bet Scott Murphy couldn't do it in his own strength. That's the word in the spirit. These guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, hey, God can deliver us. God can heal us. God can do whatever he wants. But we're doing it within the context of his sovereignty. And you know what? The bottom line is, King, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then, then, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wasn't quite so nice anymore. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than usually heated. So when unbelievers come face to face with the reality of God, don't be surprised if they flip out. That's awesome. All also can be a part of the Babylonian ingredients. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. The, then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their, other gar, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the, fir, into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So, they bound them, threw them in. Incidentally, the fire is so hot that it kills the men that, th- that throw these guys in. You know, here's another piece of Babylon. There's a lot of collateral damage. Right? These are just three soldiers that are just trying to do their job. Right? And think about it. This, I'm sorry, it doesn't say three. But, um, the men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. We don't know how many there were. But they're guys that did that. They're guys that had families. They're real people. We, it's, I think it's easy to blow by that part of the story, but there's collateral damage in a Babylonian system. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, hey, didn't we throw three men bound into the bound into this midst of the fire. Do you think he could have counted it to three? <laughs> Did we not throw three guys in there? Like, if my memory doesn't fail me, I thought we put three guys in there. Oh, they answered and said to the king, true, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. I love that. So now he sees four guys walking around you ever think about that? So there's this big fiery furnace. I don't know how big it is. Big enough that he can look in the window, if you will, and see four guys like walking around. What are they doing? Like, I wonder what's over here. Like, are they exploring this thing? But they're able to, like, they don't care. They're probably talking and fellowshipping and, and all of this. And in, interestingly, one of them, Well, this is what we call a Christophany or a Theophany. It's an Old Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. The fourth guy in the fire is Jesus Christ. All right? This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, we know what his heart is like, what his character is like, and he is able to recognize that one of these guys is like the Son of God. We don't know how he would discern that doesn't seem like he would have the ability to discern that but i love this that jesus chooses to reveal himself even to nebuchadnezzar the only way nebuchadnezzar would know this is if jesus sort of makes himself known in that sense so sure enough then nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. These guys didn't even smell like fire. You've been around a campfire, right? You've been there for an hour roasting hot dogs and marshmallows, and you come inside and everybody says, take that sweater off. You smell like a fire, right? <coughs> These guys, the fire had no power over them. They were unspotted. James one twenty seven says, Pure and undefiled religion is this, is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The world wants to stain us. The world wants to make us smell like fire. We need to be unspotted from the world. And notice again, incidentally, all those satraps and counselors and governors and administrators, what they get? They got a front row seat for seeing God's glory because three guys stood strong. Three guys stood strong, didn't have to preach a big sermon, But all these guys got a front row seat to see God's glory. And sure enough, then Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's doing it again, just like the end of chapter (laughs) 2. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Can I just again it's relevant. Number 1 Nebuchadnezzar gives glory to God. That's awesome. But he describes these guys as those who yielded their bodies. They said, "Hey, if you want to put my body in the furnace, have at it. God's going to deal with God's going to take care of me one way or the other. But I'm yielding my body." We live in an era, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. We live in an era where I worship my body. I am who I decide I am. I I deserve what I decide my body deserves. And can I tell you, there's biblical precedent right here that obedience sometimes means to yield our bodies. These guys were obedient. God delivered them god took care of them god was glorified through them they had a great testimony everybody else including nebuchadnezzar got a front row seat for all this and it was all because they yielded their bodies i believe that's relevant for our day so nebuchadnezzar is giving glory to god right so does he get it is he a believer now Is he an awesome guy? Oh, we've still got verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap. So he didn't really get the heart of God. (laughs) Because there's no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So despite all this, he misses the character of God again. You know what would have been a wise thing for Nebuchadnezzar to do? You know what would have been an awesome thing? You know what would have been an awesome last couple verses of this chapter? So, Nebuchadnezzar calls these three guys out of the furnace and says, you know, you guys got to have a God that delivers. Tell me about Him. Again, I don't presume to know everything about Him. i obviously haven't known much about what he's capable of. So it could be that I have more to learn about him, right? Instead, no. Wow, that God is awesome. Anybody doesn't anybody says anything bad about him. Right? That's the end of that. Next week. Third time's a charm. All right? Come back next week. Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled again, and this time I believe he'll repent. Now, before we, go, before we go, one final point. We've said as we look at prophecy that we study prophecy as literally as possible, right? We've, I've talked about that quite a bit, so I won't belabor that point. But there are, within the literal understanding of Scripture, there are also what's called types in the Old Testament, okay? Like, for example... God told Abraham, hey, I want you to take your, your son, your, your, your begotten son, if you will, uh, up on the mountain and sacrifice him. And you know the story. God tells him to stop at the last minute. But what he was doing, he was testing Abraham. And Abraham is a type of God the Father willing to sacrifice his son for us. Okay? So there's Old Testament scenes, if you will, that paint a picture of a New Testament truth. Does that make sense? Fair enough? And so many people believe, and I just say this to point it out because many people teach this and because it's a type, I, don't, I wouldn't like absolutely say it's ironclad truth, but I think it's probably legitimate. And that is, many would say that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what, uh, what nationality were they? They were Jewish people, right? They went through a fiery furnace, and they were delivered through it, right? Many people would say this is a type of the great tribulation that is to come when the Jewish people will be delivered through the tribulation. And if you want to add further to the type, even though Daniel is also a Jew, many people say, hey, where is Daniel? Well, we said at the beginning he's probably off doing business somewhere. Many people say that Daniel is like a type of the church, right? The church is removed from the situation in a pre-tribulation rapture, and then we have a seven-year tribulation period on planet Earth that basically pours out God's wrath, but, God, but the Jewish people, uh, there's a great revival amongst the Jewish people through that, and that's the end of that. So that's just a picture um, if you're interested in that sort of thing. For us, as Christians, we will all be put in these kinds of positions. Maybe not thrown in a fiery furnace, but in these kind of positions where we have to take an unpopular stand for Jesus. I believe it's very important that we're faithful to do so. I believe it's very important that we recognize that when that time comes, we will need the power of the Holy Spirit big time. And for all situations, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. To overcome sin in our lives, to overcome our flesh, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. To face adversity, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, he can deliver us through those as he sees fit. We just need to be surrendered. And at the end of the day, what happens through these guys? God is glorified. It's a beautiful picture that faithful, three faithful men can glorify God through this decision. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this example of these three men, so faithful to obey Your word. So faithful to stand in the face of so much fear, so much unpopularity, uh, so much social pressure. Lord, just all of that. But they took a stand for you and you delivered them. And Lord, you deliver us. And so Lord, help us to be people that stand. Help us to know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness in this world. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Lord, all of that. But your word tells us in those situations, we need to stand. We need to stand. We need to be people who know how to stand and who are able to stand. So Lord, help us to stand with the discernment of your word and help us to stand by the power of your spirit. And help, you, uh, help us to live lives that bring glory and honor to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.